His voice trembles with vulnerability and he grapples with ambiguity. Without a trace of fire or brimstone, he speaks of a Christianity as a conversation rather than a dogma. He plums TV shows such as The Simpsons for messages, and he aims to reach generations of the postmodern age that distrust blind faith and ironclad authority. Who are we talking about? We're talking about Papa Chuck's son. Papa Chuck Jr., Chuck Smith Jr., you know... We were off the Chuck Smith bandwagon, but we decided since the Los Angeles Times printed a front page story a few weeks ago about the relationship between Chuck Smith Sr. and Chuck Smith Jr., we would be remiss if we didn't address it. Thanks for joining us on Sinners and Saints. We talk about Chuck Smith Sr. and Jr. and their understanding of Christianity on Sinners and Saints. In an age of moral bankruptcy, political sleaze, theological confusion, and aimless religion in a mindless church. We're addressing the need for a Bible-based, intellectually rigorous, 21st century Christian faith. This is Sinners and Saints. Theology with an Edge. Thanks for joining us on Sinners and Saints. I'm Adam Kalustian, of course, with John Sattel, and Moses Jambazian were pastors in United Reformed Churches in the city of Walnut, California, Ontario, California, Pasadena, California. We're glad you tuned in here on start.urclearning.org to the program. And we couldn't resist when we opened our Los Angeles Times a few weeks ago and saw that Chuck Smith Sr. and Jr., their relationship, their view of Christianity in the church was being discussed, even among the unbelieving out in the world who read the newspaper, we thought we'd have to chime in on the topic. The the article is basically about the departure of Chuck Smith Jr. from Papa Chuck's version of Christianity. And the first thing I want to say before I even begin to discuss this article is I take my apology back. To all you people who called in, to all the people I had personal conversations with who moaned and lamented the fact that we uh, used such tough tactics and we took the gloves off and we talked about Calvary Chapel and who beat us down and made us feel like we were mean-spirited, unloving, and uncompassionate and were prime examples of those hard-nosed, Calvinistic kind of people out there who are just divisive and mean-spirited, I was beaten down by all of that, but I'm going to tell you something. This article reminds me of why we shouldn't have been apologizing. We were not doing it to be mean-spirited or to use tough tactics or be divisive or any of those reasons. We did it precisely because we felt there was a need to warn people about what's really going on here in this movement. And it's not about biblical Christianity. That's right. I remember getting in trouble because we called, I think I called, Chuck Smith Papa Chuck on the show. And people thought that was a derogatory term. But as the article reminds us... Papa Chuck is the affectionate name that is given to him by his followers, the smiling man in the Hawaiian shirt, the staunch but benevolent spiritual father to a generation of of end-of-their-rope hippies, dropouts, and drug casualties. It was a term of endearment, right, Adam? Right. So, of course, we were using it uh, sarcastically. We don't see him as our Papa, and we find that kind of funny because it sounds like the Papa Pope that Chuck Smith is over his churches. But I think if you read this article— and if you didn't, you can find it on latimes.com. You will find that there are some serious problems with how Chuck Smith defines Christianity. It's no more evident than how he's dealt with his son. 
And this is not just a critique that's born out of personal animosity. I want to be very clear about that. We are not – we did not in the past, and we are not even taking this on today to kick a man when he's down, uh, to attack a man or just engage in useless personal attacks here or, or mean-spirited personal attacks. It's about defending truth and warning people who are duped by the deceptions and the lies and the misrepresentations of the truth uh, that are being uh, – promoted from this man's pulpit and across the globe, really, through Calvary Chapels. Now, you are accusing us of making personal attacks, but your responsibility, your job then, is to set aside your own personal opinions and convictions and listen to what is said, what's in print in this article, what has actually happened in the relationship between Chuck Smith Sr. and Jr. and their churches, and then you decide where the truth comes out. Now, keep in mind, one of the things that we said when we first did our shows on Calvary Chapel is that we viewed the whole thing as a marketing gimmick, that it wasn't really a rediscovery of truth, and we did not believe that it was biblically sound. We believed that it was an attempt by one man who really read and understood and had the pulse of that generation and was able to market himself to them using Christianese language. And now that we are looking at this article and the controversy, by his own words, we can see that's exactly what he thought as well. Now, when we first brought this up, we brought it up in a way that maybe led you to believe that. Because we reported how Chuck himself, after the fact, after his popularity, uh, reported on prophecies purportedly made over him, that he would be the great uh, shepherd of many flocks, and all this nonsense, after the fact, trying to justify or explain how it is that Calvary Chapel phenomenon just grew by leaps and bounds. Uh, what we said at the time was, is that no, this was not the result of some fantastic uh, sort of neo-Pentecostal uh, end of times working of the Holy Spirit or outpouring of the Holy Spirit. What we said was, this was the result of a very clever marketing scheme. And of course, uh, because he's supposed to be so biblical, he was immediately absolved of all, you know, ulterior motives or, or this kind of demographic research and planning and so forth. But clearly, when you read this article, this is a man who understands demographics and who understands marketing niches. All right, what are we talking about? The article is basically a description of the, I guess you could say, doctrinal conviction relationship between Chuck Smith Sr. and Chuck Smith Jr. And you're already familiar with the basic distinctives of the Calvary Chapel movement. If not, you can go back and listen to the shows that are on the website where we detail some of that stuff in a three-part series. But what's interesting about Chuck Smith Jr. is that he departed from the basic approach to Christianity of his father. Now, let me tell you a few of the things that he did, which... Uh, first of all, manifest this great rift or division between junior and senior. And let's just begin with the top, because this one I find somewhat humorous, even though it's not humorous because it's real. But one of the uh, indicators of a rift in doctrine between these two is the fact that junior suffers with depression. That's right. 
this is one of the theological underpinnings of the shift in pra- or of focus and, and, and the doctrinal disunity between the two is that Junior is open about the fact that he struggles with depression. When he suffered his first bout of severe depression, the article says in his teens, his hearty, even upbeat father found the malady so alien he could provide little help. If you're sad all the time, he told his son, you won't have, his, you won't have many friends. Well, and maybe that was just some homespun advice from father. But what's woven into this article is a quote from somebody who's a former Calvary Chapel pastor and a longtime associate of Chuck, it appears, who seems to peel back the homespun advice there and actually makes more of a doctrinal statement out of this when he says, I don't believe any Christian leader should be flirting with depression. As if this is some sort of ungodly thing to have in your life. Now, think about this a minute. This is an indicator of the doctrinal division between a father and a son, is that one experiences depression, and this is somehow unbiblical. Think about that for a second. Just think through the leading figures of Scripture. Is it true that it's unbiblical, or that no one who was a godly man ever suffered with depression? certainly difficult to come to that conclusion when you read about Jesus' struggle in the Garden of Gethsemane or Paul crying out for Timothy to come and visit him while he is in prison, uh, what we have recorded in Second Timothy. You have here very clearly an indication that believers are going to suffer and undergo times of trial. And especially when you get into the positions where you have office, where you have the burdens of others upon you. No, we're not saying that Christians should remain in this sort of funk or that they should give up. We're told rejoice, and we are told to not have the cares or anxieties of the world upon us, but to give them to the Lord. But the fact remains that Calvary Chapel isn't even allowing someone to undergo that process, which the apostle underwent. Chuck Smith Jr. talks about growing up in the Calvary Chapel system, and of course under the Papa of all the Calvary Chapels, Papa Chuck, he says that, uh, he was growing up in his father's Pentecostal world, a world that could tilt and slide him into hell at any moment and end with a thunderclap of doom. His earliest memories involve an overpowering sense of sin. Now, if if right after that he said, yes, I mean, uh, my dad was preaching the law of God and it was convicting me of my sin and I should should know the righteous wrath of God against sin, we would agree, well, that was truth that he was preaching. But notice what he says would make him feel like he was sinful. This is a quote. You can never be good enough if you're Pentecostal or if you're a fundamentalist. Jesus may even be upset if you didn't make your bed or brush your teeth. And this is one of the real problems that we have with Chuck Smith and the Calvary Chapel movement is that what is preached as the law of God is not actually the law of God. I mean, there may be particular issues like homosexuality or what that he uh, picks out to uh, pick on, which are in line with the Scripture, but there's all these extra laws, Mm -hmm. you know, talk like us, be right. like us, dress like us, be as holy as the leader who is speaking to you. And that kind of thing puts, you know, potentially a, a weak and a meek soul into a terrible place. But this is one of the problems with the entire system, which we critiqued, and we said which is a, a fundamental indicator of the fact that this thing is rotten to the core and terribly unbiblical. And that is the notion that Chuck has about what a pastor is. The pastor is the new Moses. He goes up onto the mountaintop and he waits for a vision from the Lord. 
and whatever he sees now, he has the authority and the right to implement and to preach. And part of the things that he sees now as the new Moses is a whole new set of laws that have nothing to do with the Bible. At the end of the day, all they do is end up discouraging people and driving them into despair and to depression because they can't keep them. Well, or turning them into to self-righteous Pharisees, Pharisees who, who right. instead of really hearing the true law of God, which they have not kept, they find these extra laws, which they are able to keep. You know, it's not so hard for some people, say, not to be depressed. It's not so hard for some people to be, you know, smooth spiritual talkers, so they gain a following. So those people end up thinking that they're okay, and they project an image of being okay and make everybody conform to it, when in fact, nobody's okay. Everybody should be convicted by the true law of God and have to hear about the truth of the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But listen, I want to get into the the actual doctrinal difference between Chuck Smith Sr. and Chuck Smith Jr. This will help us uh, make clear to you what we're saying about the inconsistency of the uh, ministry of the Calvary Chapels. This man, Chuck Smith Jr., for whatever reason, however you want to trace through his depression, through his particular upbringing among fundamentalists, has come to some kind of religious conviction that is clearly not Christian, all right? Right. Um, Really, it appears that the more substantive doctrinal issues here have to do with fundamental articles of the faith. One of them is that this guy apparently does not believe in a God of wrath. Now, you could get in, you could psychoanalyze that all you like, maybe because of his problems with sensing he can't keep all of these man-made rules, and so he's terrified of this God, and he doesn't believe he should exist. But at the end of the day, it seems that he does not believe in the God of wrath. In fact, he's quoted here in this article as saying is that he couldn't understand why a loving God would consign his children to eternal flame. So, consequently, when he came across passages that spoke about that in Scripture, the article says he... He preached on it uncomfortably and half apologetically. Now, I'll tell you something. When I preach on hell, I preach on it uncomfortably as well. I don't delight in hell. But the fact of the matter is, if the Bible teaches it, that God is just and holy, and he has a right to do with, uh, with his own as he will, we may be very uncomfortable with it, but we still preach it. And this is the thing that has to be realized, and this is what really we're trying to critique. We believe that the role of the church is to be the kingdom of God on earth and do the will of God. That is what we are called to do. We're the bride of Christ. We are to preach the word that God has given. It doesn't matter whether we like it. It doesn't matter whether we think it makes sense. What is revealed is what the minister is to preach. It is what the believers in the church are to believe and affirm as being true. And the problem that we have with Calvary Chapel and with Chuck Jr. and so many others is that their idea is Christianity should be something that makes you feel good. And so whatever that happens to be, you as the minister personally deciding for yourself or you reading your audience and giving to them that which makes them smile rather than squirm, that is their goal. And that's really what we're trying to critique here. Either you have God being glorified or everything is being done for man's comfort and glory. And, and see, one of the problems that that was encountered along with struggling with this whole idea of hell, there's, there's, I think that there's a multifaceted issue here, is that one of them is that on one hand you have this strong affirmation of the fact that there is a hell and it's coming and 
people justly deserve it for rejecting God. And on the other, you have a system of worship and church life which absolutely does its best to candy coat this reality like it's not there. I mean, when you have worship with, and I don't care if you are flip-flops to church, but it's part of a mentality. We show up casually. We have a conversation with God. We have all this upbeat music and, and just this real fun, spirit-filled, joy-filled time of worship. It started with, there's this dueling reality here. How in the world are you going to confess a God who sends people to hell when your worship is all about man-centered pleasure and, and immediate need fulfillment through spectacular uh, musical performances. It doesn't make any sense. But I want to get back to Chuck Smith Jr.'s view of Christianity. Okay, we said that he already is, you know, not sure about the wrath of God and hell. Right? One of the essential doctrines of the Christian faith. He's setting that aside. What else does he do? Well, ultimately, I would say all of his problems stem from the fact that he's not sure. Uh, what is a reliable, authoritative source for revelation? Clearly, he has great struggles believing the Bible. Because you look at the things that he wrestles with, he just does not seem to believe that the Bible is sufficiently clear on or that we should believe those or maybe they're outdated. For instance, he has a hard time accepting the fact that the Bible forbids homosexuality. Now, no matter what you may think about the issue or how you make make you feel or the fact that you may know people are homosexuals and they, after all, are somewhat decent, normal people, the fact of the matter is the Bible clearly forbids it. It's unambiguous about its forbidding it as a behavior. And yet, he grapples with this as if it were an open question still. He doesn't know where to find truth. Look, there's a difference between acknowledging that we're all sinful— and acknowledging that we all struggle with different sins and that one sinner is not better than another. The three of us around this table don't look at the homosexual community and say, oh, we're so much better than that. No, by nature we're the same. We're all sinful. We all struggle with various different kinds of immorality. There's a difference between acknowledging that, being sympathetic with those who maybe will acknowledge their own sin and struggle against it and fight it, and on the other hand, kind of wondering whether or not very obvious sinful things are to be labeled sin, all right? But this guy's struggling with that. He's flirting also, according to the article, with all kinds of Eastern mystical it's, practices, yeah. you know, getting in touch with God through breathing exercises and all kinds of this nonsense, the use of icons and images and the rest of it. He is departing clearly from some of the basic truths of the Christian faith, all founded because he has trouble with believing just what the Bible reveals. And it's not surprising that somebody would have that struggle. As much as you want to make uh, these wonderful dogmatic pronouncements about Bible, inspiration, inerrancy, and all this stuff, which I, I don't doubt that Smith Jr. would or Sr. would affirm, and it seems that the Calvary Chapel seem to make those statements. But on the other hand, they undermine that just as fast as they say it, by looking for new revelations and having ministers open to see visions, which then they come communicate to their people. It confuses people about what to believe and where to turn to to find out what God really says. And now here comes the real problem that we're dealing with. It is that Calvary Chapel and Chuck Smith have stated absolutely what is the Word of God and that they affirm it and that they are conservative, dogmatic. So when Chuck's son starts denying these things, what is the response? 
does he see himself as a shepherd of the sheep and as truly God's man in the pulpit, and therefore he condemns it unambiguously so that no one will be led astray? Well, let me read for you. I'm going to just read it from the article. It's very well put, okay? Chuck Smith Sr. stresses how much he loves his son, regrets that he didn't spend more time with him as he grew up, Surely he's not a clone. This is a quote, and I respect and admire him for that. There's nothing shoddy about his ministry at all. Did you hear that? There's nothing shoddy about his ministry at all? What are you talking about? A man who is waffling on whether or not there is a hell that exists, waffling on whether or not, to whatever degree he is, that homosexuality is or isn't condemned in the Bible, waffling on whether or not it is acceptable to use pagan religious practices and the worship of God, and you're saying there's nothing shoddy about his ministry? He shrugs off, the article goes on to say, Chuck Smith Sr. shrugs off the controversy as the result of critics who, quote, get on and blog their ignorance, unquote, adding, if you don't march to their drumbeat, they begin to pick at you, and once you put on that hypercritical mode, you can right. find plenty of things to criticize. This is the man, by the way, this is the man, by the way, who will disfellowship people out of his churches exactly. for not believing the okay. rapture, the, the pre-tribulational rapture. Or, or who, teaching election. Or teaching the doctrines yes. of grace as have been understood and accepted in the Protestant church. But, but, but doesn't this remind you of something? When we first did the series on this, we, uh, we couldn't believe it ourselves. So we read it to you straight from the book about how he had his cathartic moment with authority. And... Uh, he, he decided he was going to change the way the worship was done, so he put the chairs in a circle, and they just had the most blessed time in the Holy Spirit than anybody ever had since the days of the apostles, I guess. And then the, um, then, then the church leaders got all upset about it, I guess, and they pretty much asked him to leave, and we had this whole discussion about, well, how does a pastor really learn how to submit to the authority of the elders? As if, you know, that, that's a very important question that we should be concerned about as ministers and as church people. There is a very clear biblical authority in place here. And he shrugs off his son's unwillingness to submit to biblical authority as just a bunch of hypercritical people out there. Again, there's all this confusion about, well, where is authority? Is it in God's word or is it in people or is it in me as long as I have a big enough church? Where is it? Now, here comes the rub. Why is it? I mean, we might be left to wonder if he didn't tell us himself, which he does. But why is it that he would look differently at his son? Why he wouldn't come down on him for essentially denying some of the basic truths of the Christian faith. And yet, while he will do it, maybe to other people that don't agree with him on different issues. Well, listen to what he says. Reminded of a memo that he issued cracking down on his son's views, although the point in this article was he didn't mention his son by name. Chuck Sr. replies calmly and amiably that he and his son are just aiming for different audiences. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't and his son just doesn't want to alienate the audience that he has. He says their relationship is stronger than ever, even deepened by the controversy. And here's his quote I don't feel that my son's an apostate at all. If he would begin to question that Jesus is the Son of God, then I would be concerned. Or maybe the quote is finished there. This is me now speaking. Or maybe Papa Chuck, if he started teaching Calvinistic doctrines, or he started preaching the basic truths of the Christian faith as summarized by the Protestant Church, rediscovered by the Reformers, believed by Christians throughout time, maybe then you would have a concern too, well, that's because you've disfellowshipped so many people like that, but you won't touch your son in this way. But, but think about his driving reason 
for not being overly concerned. It's that, oh, it's just a different market. Well, And this brings us back to exactly where we were when we started this. This brings us back to our critique long ago, was that we said that this is a movement, the Calvary Chapel movement is built on a house of cards. It is a marketing movement. It's not about a prophecy that he's going to be a shepherd of many flocks. It's not about some sort of prophetic fulfillment. This movement is a very predictable movement. It is a self-fulfilling prophecy, but not a one given by the Holy Spirit. It's one that has been driven by marketing strategies and ta- techniques from the very beginning. And Chuck lets the cat out of the bag here, talking about this in relation to his own son. We can tolerate denials of essential biblical doctrine. I won't speak out strongly against them, because you know what? The market for those kind of people is different. You know, maybe there's a place for the ministry of denying some of these basic truths as long as you get some of these people sort of interested in something sort of Christian. So you know? let's think about this. What would you, where would this lead us? Let's just say our marketing, our, our target group is uh, people who go to strip clubs. How would we market Jesus to them? Well, as long as they would say Jesus is the Son of God, well, maybe you let them kind of have their certain forms of immorality. Sure, let, maybe it's not clear. Let's you just know? think how absurd you could get to this. Child molesters, uh, prisoners, uh, murderers. I mean, what marketing technique is there that you won't do? And before you think that we're being a little bit too over the top, consider Chuck Smith affirms that no Christian leader should ever flirt with depression. He affirms, my son has flirted with depression, in fact, has been in depression. That's one of the things he actually has built his ministry on is the doubts and struggles that he has. And then Chuck says, oh, yeah, even though I said these things and they were absolute because they came from me, now I'm saying it doesn't matter in the case of my son, and he's just reaching a different audience, so that's fine. So which is it? Is there truth, even Calvary Chapel truth, which is added, has added things to the scripture, or there isn't truth, and it really is all about can you build up a viable congregation and get enough money and get enough exposure? I think it's about Calvary Chapel truth for Calvary Chapel people. Ultimately, this is the most absurd bunch of postmodern uh, garbage I've ever heard. And he doesn't even p- claim to be postmodern. It just seems to me that he's saying there's truth for me. There's truth for my kind of people, and then there's truth for other kinds of people out there, and you just have to figure out what it is. And once you've figured out what it is for that particular group, then you speak in their language and according to what they want. And this is the whole thing that they also condemn. All conservatives, all conservatives condemn this idea of pluralism, that you can have multiple truths. And here, because he can't make himself disfellowship his son— he comes up with all these excuses, and then this goes back to our claim that he is the Pope running Calvary Chapel, because notice that many others have been thrown out for far less, but nobody had the guts to force Chuck to come out, speak out against his son, and he did not throw his son out. The article says that they actually had to get someone to go speak and kind of ask him to withdraw the Calvary Chapel name from his organization. Right, the son out of really love and compassion for his father resigned his affiliation to avoid things coming to a head. And that was, you know, in the son's worldview, probably a very kind thing to do because, again, with the son, probably Senior has his answers too, and he's we're all learning and on the road, and we just have to follow whatever our conscience would dictate. You know, what this reminds me of here, and there's so many things, that lessons we need to learn from this, but, but one thing, it ought to be a call... Anew to all you people who sit out there in these Calvary Chapel clone churches, whether you're in Calvary Chapel or not, what you need to do is look past the smoke and mirrors. 
Look past the so-called new paradigm Christianity. Look past the veneer that makes everything look so uh, spirit-filled and uh, pleasurable. The cutting edge. music, casual dress, uh, the, the lack of theological truth and all this stuff. Look past all of that. Realize this is not just about, oh, these kinds of things appeal to me. That's the kind of person I am. Look behind the principles and say, are these accurately reflecting real eternal truths? And if they're not, you have to get out of those churches. And we can already tell you ahead of time, there's not truth in it. It's been smoke and mirrors, marketing scheme, packaging, which has been very sophisticated and intentionally designed to draw you in to appeal to all of your wrong instincts. And now you have to st- you have to stop and think about this stuff. And when you do, you will realize that these churches are theologically bankrupt and void of biblical truth, and you have to leave. They'll give you just enough Bible to appease your conscience that you're following Jesus. But along with that, the snake comes around the backside and bites you. Because what you're really hearing is a man-made agenda, man-made laws— Theological perversions, departures from the basic truths of the Christian faith as summarized in the historic Protestant creeds, and under the table sort of control of the message that goes out and guarding that particular things will not be taught. This is, this is not acceptable for professing Christian people, let alone teachers, to be a part of. And, and the obvious inconsistencies and hypocrisy are evident even the unbelieving media, and this is what comes out in the L.A. Times. I don't know the author of this article is a Christian or not or whatever, but it's just plainly evident, even to the unbelieving world, that there are just gross, unacceptable inconsistencies with the message and the movement that is fostered by Chuck Smith. And you ought to be, as a Christian, all the more attuned to that and weary of this kind of errant teaching that's prevalent in the church and get away from it. And so let me wrap this up by saying, again, not an attack against the man. I have no personal, I don't think any of us here have any personal animosity or hostility towards junior or senior. I lament the fact that this guy's depressed and that he's confused and his whole life is turned upside down. He can't figure out his right hand from his left. I mean, I, we would love to see the Holy Spirit work real conviction, illumination, and understanding of the truth here. Not an attack on him, and not an attack on Senior, who's watching his family and, and his ministry that he's committed his, all his life to fall into shambles. We're not, when it's not an attack on them. It's trying to say to people who've been duped by this man and his doctrines and his way of doing church that you have to wake up. You have to see through these things. You have to realize that this has not been faithful to biblical Christianity, and it's time to take another look. Lots of us come out, learn the Scripture more deeply, and find ourselves being more satisfied with the truth of God's Word proclaimed as we go forward in humble and thankful obedience. Thanks for listening to Sinners and Saints. Of course, you're on the website already. Check us out. What is the Reformed Faith? Get in one of the local churches. Come meet us. Come visit us. Talk with us. Email us. Post a comment. Any of that. We'll see you next time on Sinners and Saints. Join us next week as we tackle more topics with the truth of God's Word on Sinners and Saints, Theology with an Edge.